Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm Alexander Boliba, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is senior researcher, Sarah Seibert. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Alex. You had the opportunity to chat with Anthony Bozy, interagency program manager and ethics officer at NIE at Veterans Affairs. How'd it go? Yeah, it was a great conversation. Uh, it was initially for an interview uh, for an article on data literacy. So keep an eye out for that. But he wanted to join us on HealthCast so he could reach out to you, all of our listeners. Very exciting. We love an impromptu HealthCast. For those who don't know, what is data literacy? Yeah, so it is definitely a trending topic these days. Data literacy is, as it sounds, but the ability to read, understand, create, and communicate data as information. So while the definition is simple, I think getting there is the difficult part. And it's especially important in healthcare settings because it can affect the way that care is delivered. So many agencies are focusing on bolstering data literacy to improve data-driven decisions and Aspire, this program that Tony will discuss, is one of the programs that's working to do that. And can you tell me what Aspire is and who's a part of the effort? So... Several agencies across government, including VA, the Department of the Navy, Department of the Air Force, HHS and DOL are working together under Aspire to strengthen their workforce's data literacy. So Aspire aims to improve competencies for emerging technologies, especially for AI and cyber, to ensure the federal workforce is qualified and capable of meeting their missions as emerging technologies continue to grow. So it's really focused on creating uniform training across the government, which will result in scalable networks of individuals with expertise and experience. Yeah, very interesting. And I have to wonder, what role does AI play in data literacy? I mean, obviously, it's important to understand data on its own. Is AI a tool to, I guess, speed up the process or as an enabler? What what is AI doing here? Yeah, so as you know, many medical professionals are leveraging AI to deliver healthcare. Like it's a massive area of growth in the federal government right now and industry as well while we're at it. So AI only works, though, when you have quality data inputs, which will improve the accuracy of results, but the risk is the opposite of that. So bad data or not understanding the data would contribute to bad outputs. So additionally, Aspire is using AI-powered solutions that provide user-specific experiences, which could ultimately help develop personalized learning pathways and interoperability. So these two things really go hand in hand. Well, let's not keep our listeners waiting any longer. Let's take a listen to your conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm really excited to learn more about the Aspire program. So to kick off the episode, could you tell me a bit more about this program? Uh, This is called Aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E. 
which stands for All Services Personnel and Institutional Readiness Engine. Aspire's a pretty large and robust system. It's been a long road to get here, uh, where we went through a lot of iterations trying to solve a problem that we continue to solve, I suppose, better and better, and then we got to a point that we oversolved it. So the, the original problem or concern was, you know, hey, at the VA, we're doing AI research, and we have practitioners using AI, a lot of it's medical. We should probably be extra sure that those people are, are tip-top with their conflict, with their understanding and knowledge of the AI they're using. So we thought about uh, having some form of certification system for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a test, you get a certificate. But uh, a certificate's kind of a bad word these days. Nobody likes them. There's too many of them. But uh, just taking another test, uh, just a general test, seemed uh, daunting and, uh, and unreasonable. And how would you even write that test? So we revised that to an idea where, okay, maybe instead of just saying you do or do not know enough, maybe let's just get a sense of your expertise level. And, you know, maybe let's be a little more uh, topic-specific instead of just, you know, AI, big bucket, data science, big bucket. But then we decided, you know, we'd be better than that. Uh, so we realized that, well, if that test goes well, we're going to get a lot of information about what the individual does or does not know. Maybe we can use that information to give them some educational insights and ways to, to improve. And then we thought, you know, if we're going to be doing all this work anyway. Why don't we just automate it? And when we got to the idea of automation, then we started revisiting, you know, how do you test properly and how do you educate properly? Uh, we put, ended up dumping a lot of thoughts into pedagogical thought and system design thought into that and figuring out how to make it an AI-driven system that will automatically test in an adaptive way and automatically populate a learning pathway that's specific to you. So we started coding that up by looking at how it could work and what it could look like. And then we had a kind of a eureka moment and we're like, oh, hey, uh, Spire doesn't know what's teaching AI, right? That's what we're trying to teach versus AI, mm-hmm. uh, with AI, interesting, I suppose. But, um, like, it doesn't know what's teaching AI. We can use it to teach literally anything. So we started tooling around with it. We're like, oh, we can teach data science. And then we're like, oh, we can teach the FAR. And then we're like, hey, we can actually teach food safety and zoology. We can teach literally anything. Uh, and then we realized again that our data model had even further extensions. So we started looking at ways to use it for uh, recruitment to help find data science, pools of data science talent in a way that is like sociological scoping instead of marketing. Uh, and then also the flip of the coin, you know, is equity consideration. We can use that. You can use the same data to not only find wells of talent, but also make sure you're reaching out to communities that you failed to reach out to historically. Uh, and then that just sort of continued to culminate and culminate. And we further got other understandings of ways to be used by talking to other people in the government. Uh, transportation gave us an emergency response narrative. The HUD gave us a retention narrative. The uh, CFIUS Committee for the Foreign Office of the United States gave us uh, an emergency response narrative. So now we have this huge articulated system that when it's fully done and dusted will take you from theoretically pre-employment all the way through retirement and can help teach you whatever you need to know along the way to get ready for a job that you have and the next job you want. And we'll do so in a way that is automated and intelligent so it's accessible to you whenever. And the learning suggestions you will get are very specific to you and only you. Uh, it's, quite, it's quite a thing. Wow, that's really cool. And it's impressive to see how much it's grown from where it started. So when you began on this journey, what challenges did you face developing Aspire? So Aspire is an interagency effort, um, although it is housed and run by the VA at the moment. We have uh, six major partner agencies involved, uh, which at the moment is the VA, NASA, Air Force, Navy, HHS, and Labor. Uh, we also have some slightly lesser involved, but at-the-table organizations, uh, 
Treasury and, and uh, Secret Service and uh, the, the Marines and a bunch of others. But uh, when you're working across an agency like that, it's obviously inherently complex because every agency has different regulations. Every agency has different scope and scale. Every agency has different cultures regarding adapting technology or the use of artificial intelligence. And different colors of money they can or cannot use for things. Mm-hmm. Even just different time zones to be frank, it is, it, is, it is ridiculously hard to get 12 people from 12 different agencies. Or even even like calendar culture from agencies. Some agencies only do 45 minute meetings. Some of them do 45 minute meetings starting at the 15. Some do it ending at the 45. I know that sounds like a silly thing to mention, but really just at every level, cultural, regulatory, and just daily habits, uh, orchestrating in your agency is crazy complex. And then also, like, we're talking about AI here, uh, data science. Data science is maybe a somewhat refined like, area of work, but AI is, I mean, there's such disagreement about what AI even means, much less to define it in a way that it is testable and teachable. So, I mean, that's been a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even just interagency rules and regs, but our own rules and regs, because we are just a research organization, there's only so much we can do, and we're going to kind of hit a wall uh, when it comes to, like, full development and deployment of Aspire, and we're, we're trying to get support from from up the chain, like the EOP and such, uh, to, to get around that problem. And they are interested, which is good. And then my last challenge, which is kind of a future challenge, but I'm, I'm really preparing for it, is I kind of have a, a public give-back dream when it comes to Aspire. Uh, and there is um, a, quite a lot of, of uh, extra hurdles to go through when something changes from, from a government-only service to possibly something accessible to more of the public. Right. And how did you overcome some of those hurdles with collaboration and different calendars to figure out a way to work together effectively and drive change? Uh, so I think three things helped. Um, one is pretty much everybody who's involved in this program really seems to care about it in a sincere way, which is, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I think when people hear, particularly people in, in, in this line of work, when you hear the narrative, and you hear the functions, and then you see some of the stuff we have already that shows that it's not a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if you if you put a little trust in the fact that I'm ambitious, not crazy, mm-hmm. uh, then, then people seem to be very excited and comfortable with the idea that um, this is something worth, say, waking up a little bit earlier for uh, if you're on the West Coast, and, and the best we can do is a meeting that starts at 7.30 your time, or... We had uh, we did a big tech sprint recently for this, which was a huge, massive uh, public-private event where we had big companies that came and competed to try to support part of Aspire. I mean, like Amazon was there, Microsoft was there, Coursera, big companies, and uh, we had uh, our interagency partners helping us be judges for that. And there's there are people that are working on evenings and weekends again, just because they care, just because they think it's, it's important, uh, which I think is incredible. Um, then there is also uh, we've kind of done um, once we started to hit barriers, uh, particularly some of those that I mentioned about, like regulation and things, um, because we had so many agencies and, and, uh, already invested, it kind of gave us an automatic, not sheet code, but uh, it's much easier for like the EOP and OMB, like the top level agencies to do stuff downward, and it's very hard for agencies to do something that percolates outward. It's also kind of hard for one agency to go to the executive and say, hey, I've got a thing that would be kind of like, just trust me. Mm-hmm. But when six or eight or ten agencies go to the executive together and say, hey, we're working on a thing that we would all like together, please, you, you get you get more attention faster. Right. Uh, so that's definitely helped a lot, having some hope and having some even early groundwork that will have of support at that level to be something like a shared service that will have that level of latitude and flexibility. 
Yeah, it's great that you were able to do this amid those barriers. That's something I've heard a lot, especially when it comes to data, that it's really difficult to get everyone on the same page. So it's impressive that you were able to do that. So how does Aspire pave the way for using other and future technologies? Sure, a few ways. Um, so one is uh, Aspire is, it does a lot of things, but at the core it's an education system, I would say, or an assessment education system. Um, and I'm, I was an academic for a while, and many of our critical partners are, are academic institutions, like the Naval Postgraduate School and Air Force Institute of Technology, and a couple of major universities um, that are coming to us of late, like MIT and BT, are in the process of becoming involved. So, like, there's a lot of this, this strong idea that, which is kind of old fogey, but like, hey, you have to know something before you can do it. I think the better way to say it, knowledge perceived use is what we like to say. Um, and with so many academics at the table, uh, we're, we're very convinced that if we can educate very well and have a system that makes education streamlined and enjoyable and equitable, uh, that necessarily you propagate the use of future technologies. So just have more people that know more things about how to use them, period. I mean, it's just not, not a, no, no tricks in that one. There's also like, we got a bunch of tech, I want to say lying around, which that word, but there's a lot of tech. Uh, that is across the government that is being utilized or perhaps underutilized in large part because there aren't enough people that know how to use it or there aren't enough people that know how to use all of the bells and whistles at the very least. Um, so even just in talking about current tech, not even just future tech, just like the other technology, um, the more, because we, in that case, we already know exactly what we have and exactly what people need to know. Aspire is the perfect sort of thing, uh, given how it does its thing, which I guess I didn't exactly spell out earlier, but the short-term version is you take a they have computer adaptive test I think it's a very specific view of what you know versus what you need to know for your exact job or your exact agency as dictated by your agency. And that gives you a very specific learning pathway to fill that gap, which will be full of micro lessons. It'll be self-navigable. It's not just going to be huge, long videos and boring stuff. So because that, that ground truth is set by the agency, when the agency knows exactly what they need, Aspire becomes a very efficient solution to getting people from wherever they are to filling that need. And by starting with finding people that are already close. Uh, so when it comes to using the technology you already have in the field, we'll be able to get operators online extremely fast, uh, which will be very helpful. Um, and then it's, it is a self-propagating system, I suggest. Uh, as more people learn more things, particularly about emerging technologies, I, I generally have assessed, at least in my, when I was an educator, I don't know if things have changed about people over the past few years. It's always possible. But in general, I suggest that as you get to learn more about more things, you start to notice the connections between things. You start to ask more questions and start to look into more things. Also, as you become more informed, you start to be better aware to identify problems or risks or concerns as they emerge. And all that, I think, propagates upon itself as more people are noticing and thinking more, more people will be more curious, which will help lead them to engage in more questions and concepts and learn more technology and on and on and on. And then when it comes to future tech, um, we've got a few things in the pipeline. Uh, so one thing is uh, using immersive VR for teaching. Uh, a lot of people kind of poo-poo VR because right now many deployments are unnecessary. Like a VR classroom isn't generally hugely better than Zoom, probably when you're just going to sit at a VR desk in a, in a VR body. Or thinking about using VR to teach things like surgery or how to repair a submarine or how to repair a safe space station. Things where uh, the, the object with which you'd be interacting is hard to get to and it's very bad if you mess up. Mm -hmm. uh, using VR in those contexts is something that we're looking into. We're using uh, have increasing data literacy just in general. I think would be very helpful for particularly the VA 
uh, is we, we did some of this for COVID, and I imagine we're going to have to do it again, unfortunately, is uh, pandemic detention, detection and preparedness uh, using uh, a large fleet of data literate people to help really get extremely excellent models about when and where pandemics may or may not occur, what will happen when they do. And then I guess, uh, I guess, I guess I'll lead back to the self-propagating thing one last time, right? As more staff train and train each other and push each other, you just, I think, I think it is a high tides raise all boats situation. Those are some really cool examples. So how are you measuring and documenting results and success with Aspire? At the micro level, like in the system itself, um, it, there's automated and manual validation to make sure that what it's actually doing is true, uh, validating for flawed or biased questions or flawed or biased uh, pieces of learning, things like that. Um, self-validations are you're kind of cheating the system because you're writing your own test at that point, but we'll be we'll be faithful to it and we'll be very good validators. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the micro level. At a procedural level, Aspire will demonstrate its its success. I think when we start seeing uh, higher success in personnel flexibility and interoperability, it's very hard to move from one agency to another. It's very extremely hard to move out of the DoD to civilian service in a way that maintains any level of reasonable fidelity given what you learned and the experiences you had which makes it difficult for people to make their own career um, transitions, again, particularly out of uniform service. It's also kind of hard for, like, emergency things. Um, when we're shopping this around, we're talking to transportation. One of the things they mentioned when we had that West Coast shutdown a while ago was a huge lag, was the finding qualified crane operators, which they failed to do, so then they had to find the, like, board of the willing to become crane operators. And in a world with Aspire where you know what people do and do not know, you can find the crane operators much faster, and you can find the people who are significant, very close to becoming a crane operator very quickly, right? So once we once we see, then then you can get them into service faster than starting some scratch uh, assertion there. So when we start seeing those things in effect, we start seeing personnel not having that problem getting out of the DOD. When we see us having increased emergency response, when we see individuals uh, staying longer in government because they can see how they move up and up, up and onward, those would be like procedural successes. The macro success is it is supposed to be a readiness engine. It's supposed to fill skill gaps present and future. Uh, theoretically, although readiness is a nebulous term, we do have sort of metrics for it in an aggregate sense, some within the government, some as general as the GDP. So when you start seeing things like that fluctuate, that would be like a like an incredible and a macro level indication of some level of success. I don't know if you'd ever detect it, but it'd be cool. And then the, the structural one, the last one, is uh, increased inclusion. Uh, we do... Part of that idea that you can show up and take the test for Aspire to prove what you know isn't just us being cynical and making us demonstrate again what you know. It's also to give people an opportunity to come to the table and demonstrate, you know, hey, I might not have a degree or have any jobs in something in the past. It doesn't mean I can't do it. Uh, our former chief of staff at the NI was getting his degrees in literature. He was a linguist in the Army. Neither of those things are vaguely related in any way, shape, or form. But he's, he's an excellent expert in coder now, taught himself, right? I think he got the job in the night just because he was around the VA for a long time. But in the world of Aspire, he could have proven in a heartbeat, and actually an expert, um, which which is, is good for people who don't have the opportunities in life uh, to have gone to those universities or have gotten those jobs to get those qualifications, but had the, the, the hood spot to, to train themselves up anyway. That's great to hear. I also majored in English literature, so maybe I'll have to try my hand at AI encoding. So moving forward, what are some of your goals with Aspire? Uh, so at the VA level, we really want to get uh, to make sure that we have 
uh, all the consoles we need to have both minimize the risks and maximize use of technology with veterans. Um, that's where we started. We started with, hey, let's make sure that the people we have using AI know what they're doing, and let's find places where we're not using AI that we can. At the end of the day, that's still what we're doing. We're just doing it bigger and better for more people. Um, and not any topics that are just AI. Uh, so it, for the VA, it always comes back to veteran, or for the VAJ at least. It always comes back to veteran healthcare, and for the VA, it always comes back to the veteran. Uh, for the government as a whole, I think streamlining and re- making more resilient government practices, um, there's parts of that retention to national security narrative that I think come up a lot here, uh, but also making sure that people have the competence they need to do to do their job right, because that lowers wastes and inefficiencies, which ultimately makes the government better for residents of the United States, which is, should be government's goal. I don't know if, if I believe it always is. It might not always be as obvious. The VA is very obvious with its dedication to veterans, um, but I'm here to make government better too, so that's that's on the pipeline. And I think the long-term, I sort of hinted at it earlier, no guarantees or promises yet, but there's sort of an idea that there could be applications to a wider, more public education context, and that would be excellent. That's really exciting. I look forward to seeing where you all take this program. So before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to add? It is. Uh, it is I think important to note that um, when I say this fire is an interagency effort, I don't just mean that it has been to date an interagency effort. I also mean to emphasize that the plan here, and also trying to get to this with some of the EOP cover, but the plan here is like, if there's an agency out there that wants any of this functionality or wants to do this, which they should, because the AI training actually tells them to, and EO 13960 tells them to, and EO 14091 tells them to, and a bunch of other stuff tells them to. They, they, they come on board. They don't need to build an Aspire or copy Aspire. They, they, they come on board and they help us build it, and then we all get to share the results of all of our combined work, which is significantly more efficient and cost effective. It's also how government should run. But it's, that's something to emphasize. Like, there's somebody in the audience who wants to be part of it, they reach out to me and, and they become part of the team. They don't need to start from square one. Wow, there's a lot on the horizon. Thanks again for the conversation. I look forward to seeing what the future holds. Thank you, Sarah. That was a great conversation. Are there any last takeaways you want to leave our listeners with? I think this is a great example of a data literacy program that successfully assesses, educates, and streamlines federal government talent, which, again, easier said than done. Uh, It's ultimately advancing an agile government workforce skilled in AI, data science, and cybersecurity. So as I mentioned in the episode, this has been a challenge for government, but that's why it's so impressive to watch this area grow uh, and hopefully aspire, will inspire other agencies to follow their path. Thank you, Sarah. If our listeners enjoyed this episode, they can subscribe on the podcast platform of their choice. Please leave a review if you liked it. We'll be back next week with a brand new HealthCast. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Sarah Seibert. Thank you for listening. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. 
You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.